Every day I do my six most important things in order of priority, have my vital one for the week. And when I look at that six most, I got stuff over here and he's always going to have some stuff to deal with. But is this connected to my blueprint? Is this connected to my 20-year goals? My 15 are connected to them. My 10 are connected to them. My five, my three, my one. And then I formulate goals. And when I do that six most, which is tied to my whole blueprinting process, is this a needle mover in my life? It could be spending time with your grandkids. It could be spending time on yourself. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. This is a very special show today as it represents a huge milestone, our 100th episode. To mark this special occasion, we sat down with Ron Carson, founder and CEO of Carson Group. Ron, as you may recall, was the very first guest we had on the show back in October 2020, and we thought it would be a great way to catch up with Ron and celebrate this milestone. And I must say, it also gives me another shot to do the intro for Ron, as it was my first show, and I've learned a lot since then. So hopefully, this one's a heck of a lot better. Ron has a tenacious focus on serving clients' best interests, a relentless pursuit of excellence across every activity, and a burning desire to learn, grow intellectually, and innovate. He is continually ranked among the top advisors in multiple publications, most recently to Investopedia's top 100 financial advisors, he was ranked number five, and I am proud to share that I have been recognized on this list as well at number 10. It's quite the honor to be recognized on the same list and in the top 10 with Ron. Ron is one of the most celebrated and respected financial advisors and executives in the industry. He is a sought-after speaker, thinker, and investment strategist. And if that wasn't enough, he's a nationally acclaimed New York Times bestselling author, and has shared his success principles through several books, including his most recent work, Proven in the Trenches, 11 Principles to Maximize Advisor Value and Transform Your Firm's Future. Ron is actively involved in charitable giving, and his personal mission is to, I quote, do the greatest amount of good for the greatest number of people, end quote. He and his wife, Jeannie, co-founded the Dreamweaver Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to fulfilling end-of-life dreams for seniors with terminal illnesses. He supports more than 48 charitable giving organizations and has served as a past president of the Child Saving Institute. He has personal partnerships with Charity Water and Global Coalition and has helped provide more than 600,000 meals to children in Kenya through his work with No Hungry Children. Ron and Carson Group have recently formed a partnership with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to raise awareness and create conversations around the importance of mental health, something that is near and dear to my heart. He has personally seen the impacts of mental health on families and wants to help others address it in a meaningful way. Listen in for some great takeaways about leadership, the future of financial planning, and why mental health is so important 
and living your best life. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the distinct pleasure of being with the founder and CEO of Carson Group, Ron Carson. And some of you will be able to see this on video. And those of you who are listening to us, make sure you check out the video. We'll have it on our YouTube channel. So welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for having me again, Larry. It's an honor. Yeah, it's been awesome. So you were our first guest that we had in October of 2020 on the show. And now we're celebrating our 100th episode. And we wanted to circle back and have you on again and get a little insight about how things have changed since we had that episode in October of 2020 with the Carson Group. Yeah, well, lots changed. And that's probably always going to be the case at Carson. I mean, we're in a constant state of evolution, Larry. You hear us always say that our value proposition six months from now will be far superior than the one we have today, which requires a lot of curiosity, a lot of thinking. And really being bifocal. We have to pay attention to what's in front of us today, but think about things that a lot of people maybe aren't thinking about in the future. And in that regard, it's been an amazing run for Carson. I mean, we think when I talked to you, we just moved into the new building. We're well settled in our new corporate headquarters, which has been just amazing for culture. We announced a partnership with Bain Capital, third largest private equity firm in the world. And really comes at it from a consulting side. And we did it for capabilities. We didn't need capital. They took out our other private equity firm that we had, and they've been fantastic partners so far. We've attracted a ton of top-tier talent. What's fun is success attracts success. And top thinkers and people that want to make a difference in our world attract other top thinkers. And whether it's uh, Burt White, Namesh Patel, and others And we really have, while most of our profession is struggling to bring in the next stakeholder, we've been fortunate that we have a lot of people that want to join us and want to be a part of what we're doing because it feels, from my heart, no, it's really different than what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. And from the outside in, people think it's different until they get in and go, is this really just some other slight variation of every other wealth management firm out there or there's something really different going on at, at Carson today. And so a lot of change. Uh, I think we're serving nearly 44,000 families today, which just makes me so happy to know, you know the kind of impact we're having with the work we do. Yeah, I listen, I've seen it since the beginning of me getting into this business, right? It seems like every year is almost like that seven-year relationship with dog years, right? Because things just change constantly. So obviously, since we spoke last, the pandemic has run its course. We're still in it, but financial planning continues to move forward, right? So how do you see the future of financial planning changing for Carson and Carson Partners going forward? What are our capabilities and how is that going to help the families that we serve as a result? I mentioned Namesh Patel, who we brought in, our new CTO. We have a great CTO here at Carson that really got us to, before I answer that question, I want to talk about the evolution of really business cycles and growth and specifically Carson. And I believe in these S-curve explosions where you build, 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 and then you have incredible growth that shows up on paper. We really had incredible growth through that flat period. You just didn't get any credit for it. And then you will top out as every organization does And you're either preparing for your next leg up or you're starting this gradual decline. I think a lot of people tell themselves they're preparing for the next leg up when, in fact, they're starting this gradual decline. We can look all over America and point to companies that were playing a finite game versus the infinite game. This is a terminology of a book that Simon Sinek, who I'm a huge fan of, 
and talks about the advantage of plan and infinite game. And I'm going to circle back to that question. Sure. Namesh came in and really Ben Mathis has been fantastic here, getting us to where we needed to be, really saw us through several major S-curve explosions. Namesh has come in, is working great with Ben, our, our former CTO, and really just sees the world with all the data and the analytics and things that we're going to be able to do for clients and the holy grail without getting too technical with clients, is to get to know our clients so well that we can anticipate their needs and show value that they weren't even thinking about. And I'll use an example. Right now with interest rates moving up, people may have arms or adjustable rate mortgages in an environment where the technology can automatically say, you should switch from this to this. We've shopped the market. We've filled out your application. Click here to approve. (laughs) This will save you 730 bucks a month, or it won't save you anything but a lock in a rate in a rising interest rate environment. Could be something as simple as cell phone bill, where we have a data lake and say, you know, based on what we see your usage, because eventually we'll be able to get data from everywhere. Sure. You're not optimizing, you're paying too much for the plan. So I believe we're entering a world because we've curated our data warehouse and our data capabilities. And we're in some regards waiting for others to catch up to us. We're going to be able to provide planning alpha which is incredible that we can identify, because even, you know, when I look at the professionals I'm paying in my life, I don't want to pay a fee, but right. I'm willing to make an investment in my future. And for that investment, I want them to be thinking about things I'm not thinking of. I want them to surprise and delight me and showing their value to me on areas that I didn't even know there could be value sure. delivered. And this has a major, been a major push of ours. And we've been positioning ourselves to really be able to analyze data quickly, efficiently, and accurately to do a much, much better job. So that's on the value side. On the other side of it, convenience. We have gone from a society that wants great service and everybody claims they give great service. You don't know so until you're actually in it. (laughs) What does that mean, right? right? What's that really mean? I don't think anybody would argue today that Amazon maybe gives the best service in the world. Love them, hate them, service. It's simple. I ordered something on Friday. I got it on Saturday. Right. I mean, it's like, I didn't have to leave my house and it took like six seconds to order it. And so at Carson, we're putting a big emphasis on making it easier to do business with Carson. We have a whole campaign this quarter. I'm asking all my internal stakeholders, hey, let's identify a hundred ways to make it easier to do business with us. And ultimately doing business with us means doing business with the end client, you know, the person that we're set up to serve. So you're going to see a big push towards removing friction and providing convenience for our clients. So I think the interesting thing in that question about financial planning is none of the answer was around investments, around retirement, because I think, and I think that this is why you didn't say those things. Those are things every advisor should be able to do, right? Those are table stakes, as I've heard you say before. It's all these other avenues that we could add a tremendous amount of value to and where we could really enhance the planning component. You nailed it. I mean, the investment piece of it's important, right? Because there's a lot of bad investments out there and there's a lot of investments with a lot of hidden fees and expenses and truly you don't stand a chance. But let's remove that for a moment and just talk about the general market. And to generate alpha there, maybe you can generate a little bit. right? But when it comes to estate planning, tax planning, tax loss harvesting, more opportunity. oh my gosh, can there be a lot of value? And I'm eerily close to that line of investment, so I'm going to say it anyway, is we're moving into a period of time where I think alternatives or specialty strategies that don't correlate with the market, while they've been 
reserved mainly for the very, very, very high net worth, they need to be brought down because the risk-adjusted returns and a lot of these strategies are really good and they have nothing to do with what the market's doing. So you're going to see a push at Carson to be able to bring these down to the, to the average investor because they really deserve it. And it's, I've always scratched my head as we make it the idea of the regulators, it's such a complex thing that we have to protect the average investor. So we're going to let them go into all these really high fee, high expense stuff that really stands no chance right. versus these things that have shown an incredible track record over any period of time you want to measure, but they're too sophisticated. Let's let people, let's have people the certainty of having underperformance and a lot of these, I'm going to call them very, very inefficient products out there on the right. market today. Yeah. So, I mean, alternatives, a great, great segue to my next conversation or question that I wanted to ask you about was bank capital. You mentioned them earlier in, in the opening question as far as something that's changed since we spoke in October 2020. We have bank capital with making the investment in Carson. So how is that going and what are the benefits that you've seen thus far and what are the expectations going forward that us as advisors and delivery to the families we serve should expect to kind of see as a result of this investment. Yeah, we've got a lot going on with Bain today. And let me take a little step back and say, why did we choose Bain? Because we had, we started this process. We had 19 companies and some were strategic, household names you would have heard of. Others were private equity firms. Some were just financial investors, but 19 raised their hand and said, hey, we would really like to make a proposal to be a partner of Carson. And we narrowed that down to five. And we spent a lot of time, we spent some time with all 19 because the learning experience of that, what we ask them to do is if you're going to be our partner, we don't need capital, we need capabilities. How would you help improve the value proposition we ultimately deliver to the consumer? And a lot of them just didn't have a lot, nothing that was unique, really ideas. And we very quickly got it down to five. And we, when we spent our management team, spent a lot of time with their management team, spent a lot of time coming to Omaha. We made trips to visit the different companies. And then very quickly, it came to two. And it was Bain and it was one other firm. And Bain, at the end of the day, they were our kind of people. When I say our kind of people, they were willing to be shoulder to shoulder with us. I had talked to many of the people in a couple of companies, even here in Omaha, that had been long-term partners with Bain. They had nothing but great things to say. And Bain didn't even know I was reaching out to them <laughs> right. you know, to have these. So there's no way they could prep them. Hey, by the way, we're talking to these guys. That's how I like to do it, by the way. <laughs> sure. And they haven't disappointed. They've got a resource group that we can tap into that whether it's cloud computing, HR, whatever data analytics, whatever the topic is, they've got a resident expert that can work with our people you know, to really help making a better decision on that. And I don't want to talk about too much right now because there's a lot of stuff out there, but you'll see anything worthwhile takes time, but we're making one of the biggest investments we've ever made at Carson with the Bain direction that I think will really be good for all of our stakeholders, internal partners and external stakeholders that we serve. Great. We were excited about it. We're looking forward to it. We also know Carson has unveiled the new tagline, Find Your Freedom. Mm -hmm. And if listeners haven't seen it yet, I'm sure they're going to be seeing a lot about that, right? What does that mean to you? And what has that meant to you in terms of having that tagline or words now being utilized by Carson and by the Carson partner firms? I love our mission is, you know, you define your freedom, we'll help design a path to get you there. And reason I love this, as people are hearing this for the first time, 
it means something different to everyone. So I love you asked me about my freedom, but I want to make that point clear is we all struggle with different things in our life. And your freedom may be different than my freedom, but I can tell you from my experience from having done this since 1983, most people don't get a real shot at true freedom because they get stuck with what? Go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. After food and shelter, what's the very next thing on the rung? Security. Right. And it's financial security, and it's having resources to provide for food and shelter. The very first thing that we solve for as humans, as an organization, I think that's our very, very first thing to do. How do we make people feel so comfortable with the plan they have in place and the oversight, going back to the conversation we had earlier, that someone is truly looking at all of these things for you on right. your behalf without you asking. It's very proactive. That You are going to be okay. And yeah, the world's going to be crazy and things are going to happen. And short of getting hit by an asteroid or you know something crazy like that, in which case it doesn't matter, right? right? right. You're going to be okay. So once we remove that, then I find freedom comes in a hundred different flavors. I mean, freedom is, for me, getting to live my life. I had this mentoring meeting earlier today, and they asked me the question, what advice would you give? And I said, position yourself to where you can't tell the difference between your life and your vocation. Not life work, not work-life balance, because right. that's like, we got this to offset this, but work-life harmony, where whether it's a Monday or a Saturday, you really look forward to the day equally because you're expressing and doing the things that you love to do. And for me, it's leading Carson. It's, for me personally, it's also the impact that charitable organizations that Jeannie and I are involved with. It's our grandchildren. It's being able to live an authentic life around the people you love and care about and having the capacity to help them when needed. That's my personal freedom. I agree. It's really a different thing for everybody. And some people get so hung up and busy and bogged down with the day-to-day -day that they never even have the time to think about what their freedom is. They're just going, going, going. And I think by utilizing that as a starting point with clients, I think it's a great few words to talk to them about finding their freedom. What does freedom mean to you? And it really opens up a really meaningful and heartfelt conversation. And you learn a lot of great things when people actually sit down and start thinking about what that. What I've learned with this, Larry, is when you ask that question, <laughs> 90 plus percent of the people I ask the question to, it really hits them. Like, it's heavy. That's a great question. Right. And I've never thought about it before, but I want it. Right. I don't know it when I'm experiencing right. it. <laughs> right. Well, the whole idea is, I think you would say is rather than knowing it when you experience it, kind of figure it out and plan it out. So you're intentional about it and not just letting it happen to you. Right. Totally. And a lot of times, even in the blueprinting process, we teach we put people through here at Carson, they'll be life by design, not by default. They get so hung up with getting started because they want it to be perfect. It's like, let's make meaningful progress right. to you feeling closer to it and understanding it should probably evolve over time. What gives you the most feeling of freedom today may not 20 years from now yeah. or 30 or 40, and it may change two or three times, but that's okay. Let's get as close to that feeling today as we possibly can. Yeah, it reminds me, you saying that reminded me of Dan Sullivan, gap versus gain, right? He, he, everybody focuses on the gap, where you are and where you want to be, and they get bogged down in that gap instead of thinking about the gain that you got from where you were yesterday to where you are today. You know, it's just a mindset shift. It's fun you bring up Sullivan. One of the things I love that he did, probably my favorite thing Dan ever invented was the life extender. Yep. 
And this life extender, and you could probably, because you've been a strategic coach, I was only in it for a year, but it was the one thing I used is looked at my life then. First year I was with in Dan Sullivan's program, first and only year. And the things that I love to do versus the things I had to do. And my life was full of stuff I didn't enjoy. Right. I'd say almost all of it was like things I had to do, not that I enjoyed to do. And Dan said, what if I want you to articulate the perfect life? And so you go through that process. What would it look like? What would you do? Where would you be? Who would you be with? And what kind of physical state would you be in? And I wrote out this, like, just amazing, you know, what, like, man, I want that. I really (laughs) want that. And and then he asked this question, if you had that today versus waiting, how much longer would you live? And in, in in addition to what that question, he should have said, how much more life would you be living in the present? Right. Right. Because that's, yeah, that's really what's important. 100%. And I went through that process and I said, you know what? 156. You know, I picked out a year that I like to live to. But the real magic in that was Jeannie and I, my wife, 40 years, August 15th of, oh. of this next month, we said, let's set out and let's design what we call the perfect year. We didn't have any grandkids in, but here's how many grandkids we might have. And here's where we would live. And here's how we'd spend our days. And we did it together. And today we're very much living our freedom and living pretty close to what we'd call our perfect life. Amazing. Well, congratulations on the upcoming 40th. Thank you. I want to shift for a minute because people are going to be hearing this in September, our our 100th episode. And September Suicide Prevention Month. And I'm very involved, as you know, in mental health awareness. And one of the things that's happened in, at Carson over the last uh, year has been a partnership with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, for which I sat on the board of for about 13 years. I had a roll off, hit my term limits that I actually helped implement. So I'm a victim of my own bureaucracy, so to speak, but that's okay. I'm still involved with them. So what has that partnership meant to Carson and to you in terms of the framework around mental health and the importance and where it sits in your life? Well, Larry, you know, I grew up in a household that had a lot of mental illness in it. My grandmother was very manic depressive. My mother was manic depressive. And so I got to see firsthand just how crazy that disease is to people and the people around them. And I don't think mental wellness illness is talked about enough. And there's not enough resources brought to the people that suffer in silence and suffer by themselves. And it still has a really a negative stigmatism. And your group. And thank, I didn't know you were one of the original founders of that. That's really... I'm not a founder. I was on the board for about... They were founded in 1980. Okay. I joined the organization in about 2005 after we lost my brother-in-law. Got it. So you helped write the bylaws for term limits and all that stuff. We changed the bylaws because we had people who were on the board for a very long time, not very involved. So right. we decided that we had to institute some term limits. So yeah, I became a victim of that. This is one of the great resources, and they've provided speakers, materials, and as an organization, we're never not going to be being thinking about this, having it be top of mind to really give every resource available to my internal stakeholders so they can be as mentally well as possible. Because you know, I, again, I saw this with my mom, when you're not feeling good mentally, and it is a disease like anything else almost nothing else can go right in your life. Sure. You know, your relationships don't go right. Your work doesn't go right. You don't even feel good about anything you're doing personally, you know, when you're down. And, and to think the loneliness someone has to feel when they feel like their only option, you know, is to take their life, it just breaks my heart, you know, to think how awful 
that those weeks, months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, even leading into that event must feel. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you addressing the mental health component. I know you have the gym here, so you have the physical health component. Now you have the mental health. And, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you've partnered with AFSP because I know that they've valued that partnership as well from their end. And they're very happy to help the stakeholders here because I think with folks like you, with an organization like Carson, the more people like you having the conversations and just opening it up and letting the stakeholders have conversations and being open about it just helps everybody. It, It helps elevate our profession. It helps elevate the corporate world and it helps elevate the, you know, the community at large. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I know we talked about this last time and you alluded to it earlier when you, we were talking about some of the changes that have taken place and some of the things about Carson. One of the things that I've seen here now with this hundredth episode, now we've been a partner firm for almost two years The culture here, as we were making the decision to become a partner firm, we were really impressed by it. And going back to what we talked about earlier in terms of service, sometimes you don't know what service is until you're actually in it. So like the culture piece, we thought it was a great culture. Now we know it's a great culture because we've been here. And it, it amazes me as I go to events and opportunities where there are other Carson folks that the the culture is really throughout the whole organization. And I know that's important to you. How do you foresee that changing as you grow the Carson group? What challenges are there? And I'm assuming that's something that's very important and vital to you in terms of keeping the culture the way it is. Because as you said, outsiders looking in, they're kind of like, what's going on here? But unless they know somebody, but I can tell you firsthand from somebody who was outside and now is inside, it's exactly what you think it is. So how do you feel about that challenge coming up as you grow and scale the organization in terms of maintaining that culture? So one of my favorite talks that I used to give, Larry, was culture eats strategy for lunch. And I mean it, we all talk about it, but what is culture, right? Culture is for me, how does the organization function without the leaders being around? Right. The practices, the way you do business, your ethics, all of that, without any indirect direction, what is uh, the inertia, the momentum? Is it a positive culture? Because everybody has culture. Or is it a negative culture? Right. When I say positive, who am I to decide who's positive or negative? But for us, that positive culture is giving it your all, even when it's not convenient for you to do so, is to treat our stakeholders like an extended family. Stakeholders means our clients means people, internal stakeholders, we don't have staff or employees here. I think that's a key to culture is people don't work for Carson. They work with Carson. Right. They don't work for a manager. They work with a manager. And maybe you're saying, oh, it's play on words, but words matter a lot. It's what we hear. It's how they make us feel. We challenge our entire organization to be culture agents. This isn't something from the top down, although we can start it. Culture is something everybody has to be aware of and protect because they always hear, well, if you get big or you're going to lose the culture, only if you lose focus on it and you don't talk about it and you make it a big part of what you do. I have a executive board meeting tomorrow and I'm going to be proposing, it's funny you bring this question up, is I want to propose what I'm calling a culture czar. Okay. That's as we get bigger that's their primary focus is to look at, you know, everything going on in the company and being proactive. What are things we can do to improve the culture? 
we measure stuff all the time here. I get it's a system called Office Vibe. I get comments, good and bad. There's a way to really measure what our engagement culture is, which is another piece of culture that's so important. My heart is full when I look at how people take care of each other here. And I say here, I mean at Carson, the Carson family. You're in an event, you meet another Carson. You guys bend over backwards. We love to say our people are humbly confident. It's not arrogance. It's really just wanting to truly, truly help each other. And everybody believes in the mission to be the most trusted for financial advice. Those are just words until you experience it and you see people doing things that are above and beyond what you would expect, you know, from an organization or even from your fellow partner. I've seen partners go out of their way to do things and they become best friends and they take vacations together and they use their boats and their cars and their houses. I mean, that is a culture we have here. It's true. It's amazing. I mean, you know, I've been with other broker dealers before and it was like you were an island amongst yourselves. And here, even with the other partners, I tell people all the time, I can say with extreme confidence, I could look through the partner list, pick a partner in any given state today, give them a call and tell them or ask them that I need help with X, Y, Z. And I'm pretty confident that they're going to pick up the phone either in that moment or get back to me in a very timely fashion and help me with X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's that tight knit. And I think that it's an amazing culture and it's amazing thing. And the fact that it's being maintained and guarded. And I think once you have that culture ingrained, at least I've seen this in other organizations, it almost becomes a self-select out process. Meaning if you end up letting somebody in that doesn't fit the culture, eventually they're going to kind of self-select themselves out because it's not going to be a good fit for them. It's just maintaining that culture so that they're not comfortable if they're not a good fit. So they kind of self-select out. Larry, you nailed it. We've definitely have had that happen. I mean, as our cultures, I feel like it continues to evolve to a higher level. We've had a lot of people that say, I just want to do my work and I want to go and I don't want to be part of a big family. And that's not here. And they do self-select out. The other side of it is on the front end, because we've been attracting a lot of people that want to join, we get to really, people tell us we about wear them out in the interview process, but we want to make sure we get the culture piece right. A lot of people have capabilities, but can they play well and operate well within our culture? There's a book. I know you know who Simon Sinek is, but his latest book, The Infinite Game. I have not read that yet. Are you familiar with it? I'm going through it now for the third time. This is how good, the, I know, and this is other than Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and listen to yep. it too. Don't read okay. it. But oh my gosh, what he's talking about is Carson, the infinite game, the way we think about our people, the way that we think about the people we serve. And anybody listening to this, you want to know the kind of organization we are, the infinite game by Simon Sinek. And uh, I've had all my leadership t- you know, team read it and they go, hey, we do this. I go, we do a lot of it. We don't do all of it. And there's a lot of great things that we can add Amazing, because we are playing the infinite game. Most of the people we compete against are playing a finite game. There's some point in time where they want to exit with a certain amount of wealth and our stakeholders, we're in this to deliver on our mission, to be the most trusted for financial advice. So some of the decisions, because we are playing an infinite game, the whole idea is that what's best for me, what's best for the company, because the company is going to be around a lot longer than me and my family. And even next two or three generations down, if we get this right to play this perpetual, forever improving organization, then we have to take a different mindset. And you've seen the next gen program when we have a massive shortage of financial advisors, 
there's more over the age of 80 than under the age of 30. No one's doing anything about it. Well, since we're in the infinite game, and I had another meeting today with a new stakeholder that came through our rotational internship program. And now they're in our M&A department and they were going to travel back to Wisconsin, but now they're staying in Omaha, Nebraska. I mean, these are the great things. And we're making investments that have a very, very long payoff, but that's okay because of our time horizon is infinite. And those are great people too. We've met a lot of them. And, you know, again, if you get them early on in their career and show them the culture and it attracts them, they'll be here forever because of that. So that's great. So I want to shift for a minute, RIA model, right? Yeah. So that's something we've been an RIA only firm for the last 10 plus years. So what changes do you foresee or, you know, in your vision of the RIA space, do you see any major changes coming down the pike that families should be aware of or that may benefit them, that may detract or from the RIA space in general? I can tell you what I wish would happen. And I've been saying this now for most of my career, and it's still frustrating and it's embarrassing for our profession is that we have two standards, right? We have a fiduciary standard and then we have a brokerage standard. And most people listening to this may or may not know the difference. And it just is beyond comprehension that under one standard, the fiduciary standard, which we operate, we're required by law to put the client's interest first. The brokerage standard, you're not. Right. The only requirement suitability and disclosure. So you get a prospectus that has 300 pages in it. As long as it's disclosed in there, I can do it. And I've, you've heard me say this before, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. 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 right? Way too much stuff Agreed. going on on that side. And the average person doesn't know that. And so they're doing business with, you know, person A has to put their best interest, person B does not. It's just wrong in our profession today. And then I think you add now in Reg BI into the mix, person B could act in their best interest sometimes, but not others. But not that all the time. That complicates things even further. Yeah. That's why we need a singular fiduciary standard in our profession. Right. And by the way, write your congressman. <laughs> if you have a voice, let it be heard. There needs to be one standard. It's a fiduciary standard. As far as what's going to happen, our profession is very inefficient today. We have 60,000 trading departments, 60,000 research departments, you name it. And it's very fragmented. And the marketplace, there's, there's a lot of redundant costs in the system. So I think you're going to continue to see the largest firms get bigger and be able to invest in those technologies that I talked about before. Right. That ultimately will benefit the consumer. And the consumer doesn't realize it today, you know, that they're because you love your advisor, you love who you're dealing with. You have no idea, are they making the appropriate investments to put you in a position to win for the future? Brain power is a big piece of that. When I look at the quality of the people I had when I was small versus the people I can attract today, it's no wonder. I mean, you look at the private equity firms, how much money they make. It's not because of anything other than they're that smart. And so you want people that are that smart thinking about your issues and your stuff on your behalf. And then having the technology to execute on it. And I saw it in farming. I grew, I'm a farm. My wife and I both grew up on farms and we saw it in the 80s. You know, you didn't need all these little tiny operations. They were inefficient. I'm probably upsetting some farmers out there, but we were a small farmer and we went broke farming when I was 17. Banking. I mean, banking had, you know, it's basically most of the market is five or six, you know, large super banks today. Same thing is going to happen in financial services. I think we will be one of the major winners. I think there'll be less than a dozen 10 years from today, maybe 15, but 10 to 15. And Carson will be one of those because I believe our mission is noble. It starts with the client first. Every decision we make is what can we do to better serve our clients, surprise and delight, 
How can we show value, unexpected value that they're not even expecting? Because we think about that all the time and we're making decisions based on the infinite game, not the finite game, like most of the people we're competing against, we're going to emerge. And we are fast followers. I mean, we're watching, we pay attention to what's going on our space all the time. And we're not trying to make history because, you know, the pioneers get shot, (laughs) but we're, as far as changing regulations and some of those things, but we're very, very vocal, you know, about things that will benefit the people we serve. Amazing. So one of the things that you mentioned is about smart people, right? And one of the things that I heard you talk about, and in particular was the most, one of the more recent hires, Burt White. Yeah. You talk about meeting people along the way, jotting down their name and kind of putting it in a file cabinet and then kind of revisiting that over time. So two things. Can you share a little bit about that practice? Because I think it's fascinating. I've now stolen it. And now when I meet people, I I put a note (laughs) down and I create a file of it because they may not be a good fit for me and our firm today, but hey, you never know. So can you share a little bit about that practice and how that has served you well in your career? Yeah. So back when I started, it was just me. And I remember I hired my first um, assistant, Avis Vopolinski. She's since (laughs) passed away. And, And man, I just couldn't believe just having a little bit of help, how much more productive I became as an advisor. And then I, you know, added another person. And then, you know, I was just adding anybody that would come and work with me. I didn't have any benefits. I couldn't pay very much. I was really just getting started. And then after a period of time, I started running some really capable people. And I thought, I wish I could afford to hire them. And matter of fact, Dennis McMillan, he works here today. He's been with me for 20 some years. And he tried to hire me and I'm thinking, I wish I could afford to hire him. And in 2000, he actually joined Carson. It might've been 1999, he joined Carson and he was in that folder. I wrote him down and said, if I can ever afford to hire Dennis McMillan, I'm going to do that. And so I've always had a file of people that impressed me. Jamie Hopkins, Professor Hopkins is here today because of that. Burt White is here today because of that. Aaron Shaven is here today because of that. And I look at, you know, some of our best performers really came from that process. I had a, someone trying to do business with me. I was so impressed by the handwritten note and the way they approached it was so different. It was actually a beautiful card, handwritten, had a bunch of confetti when I opened <laughs> it up. I'm like, I got to hire this person. So I had this meeting this morning. They thought they were in talking to me about doing business with them. I was interviewing them for a potential job and they still don't know it. I mean, we had a good meeting and the process, I'll start the process, I'll start dripping, I'll start introducing them, inviting them to things, immerse them in the Carson culture and pretty soon they'll want to be part of it. I think it's great. Like I said, I started implementing it and I think anybody who's a business owner, whether you're in financial services or not, it's it's a great tool and a great way just because you can't afford them or it's not a good fit today, I think to your point, you never know. They might be a great fit for you in the future. So Here's a book I'd recommend too. It's called Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty by Harvey yes. McKay. And it's on networking. Yep. It's, a, it's an easy read if any of your business owners out there and even non-business owners. I think having a viable network. And so let's say some of these great capable people you never do hire, but they become part of your mastermind group, part of your network to get things done. And Man, if you can invest a little time in a network and give to the network, it'll come back yep. to you a hundred. I think it's Keith Ferrazzi. I read his book also, Never Eat Alone. Same thing. You got to eat. Yes. So why eat alone? Make a lunch appointment, make a dinner appointment, eat with somebody else because same thing, networking and, and building that network. 
So one of the things you talk about a lot and, uh, you know, through your Ron Sense videos and whatnot, you talk about living your best life. Yes. And that's really important to you. What advice do you have for somebody who's a business owner, an entrepreneur who may be feeling stuck at this moment? How do they get out of that quote unquote rut to start thinking about and living their best life? Do our blueprinting process, Larry. I mean, I designed that to help people get unstuck. It got me unstuck. And the blueprinting process, as we say, live your life by design, not by default. It forces you to go way out and then come back to the present moment and visualize what's important to you. What are the things you want to accomplish? Most of the time, we get consumed with the stuff every day. And we know there's a lot of stuff. The, there's a lot of stuff, but and there's always more. <laughs> Sometimes people get overwhelmed. I have them go through this exercise. Take you a little notepad, write everything down that's on your mind. Things that, that you're excited about, some of the things are bothering you, but I just dump everything you can possibly think of on that sheet of paper. And then do the quadrant, the four quadrant. You know, not important, not urgent, urgent and important, right? Most of your time is just on the urgent <sighs> and important. The rest of it, even if you ignore it, will take care of itself or it's something you shouldn't even be worried about. And every day I do my six most important things in order of priority, have my vital one for the week. And when I look at that six most, I got stuff over here and he was always going to have some stuff to deal with. But is this connected to my blueprint? Is this connected to my 20-year goals? My 15 are connected to them. My 10-year are connected to them. My five, my three, my one. And then I formulate goals. And when I do that six most, which is tied to my whole blueprinting process, is this a needle mover in my life? It could be spending time with your grandkids. It sure. could be spending time on yourself. I'm also a big believer you have to be selfish to be selfless that people don't take care of themselves and they're out there taking care of others. There's a reason why when the flight attendant says, what do they say about the oxygen mask? Put it on yourself right. first before your child. As humans, we would automatically, oh, I want to take care help of people. the child, True. right? But take care of yourself first. And this comes back to mental wellness we we're talking about earlier. And that'll, that take care of yourself, have a mechanism in place where every day you get up, you're excited about the things that are on your agenda and you're living your life to the fullest because those are things that are important to you that are helping you find your freedom. Right. What I'm hearing is planning, financial planning is important, but if you want to live your best life and find your freedom, you also have to plan for those non-financial aspects of things. It's virtually similar and they should run parallel to each other, right? So that each one is feeding off and hopefully feeding each other so that you're working in that right direction or the direction you want to go in as a person. And once you solve, as we talked about earlier, the financial stuff, if you got financial pressures today, your mind just won't let you go there. That's just the way we're right. wired. You know, our ego tries to protect us and hey, you got to solve for that before you can think about anything else. So that's why financial planning is a key. Not hiring. I had a lady um, who my daughter referred to the firm and she had quite a drop in the market and she's an older lady and conservative. And I said, well, who are you working with? And she goes, well, I got two money guys. Well, who does your planning? Nobody. Right. Well, how the heck can that even be? Right. That's malpractice in my opinion. So have a viable plan. We can, you know, that your advisor can run all kinds of analysis on just to show you're going to be okay. And that will free you to right. work on those other non-financial items in your life. Yeah, that's like hopping in the car without having a destination in mind. You're going to go where you need to go because you don't have any kind of destination. So Ron, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We end every show by asking, and we asked you this before, but we're going to ask you again today because this is yeah. the Midland Money Mindset. 
What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I feel like I've had nothing but joy today because I've been with people that I love and I care about and I know they love and care about me. And I kick off every morning, Larry, with my meditation. My gra- I start off with a gratitude recall and I just get a nice, put the dogs out. The second I get up, put them out, sit down, I get really comfortable and I shut my eyes and I think about the last 24 hours and what am I grateful for? And yesterday I had the most incredible day with my grandkids and some friends and my family and just being in their presence. And I you know, was grateful for some other things. And then I go into a meditative state and uh, it just supercharges every day. And I, I think so often we need to stop, pause and think about all the great things that are going on in our life and how blessed we truly are. And that really gives me a great way to launch each and every day. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. We will have your information in the show notes, how to contact and learn more about the blueprinting process. We'll have in the show notes the information about the books you mentioned as well. And uh, I thank you again for being our first guest to be on the show and now our 100th guest and make it a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. I want to thank Ron Carson for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Ron is a leader in the industry and has created a firm with unbelievable culture that strives to be the most trusted for financial advice each day. We hope the show gave you an understanding as to why Midland Financial became and is grateful for being a Carson partner firm, as our values are very much aligned. We look forward to showing you all the great things to come as a result of this partnership. Ron and Carson Group can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.